So it's been a while since we've done one of these, but uh, yes, we are back for a special end of season treat. Uh, our generation on air is back to review the pain, go back over all the stuff that you've been trying to forget over the last couple of weeks. My name is Alex Pullimore, and of course, it would not be uh, an Our Generation podcast without these guys. So, uh, welcome to Micah Chudley. Hello, good evening. And welcome back uh, to Dan Lambert, a long-awaited return. Round of applause. Yeah. Round of applause. Yeah. But someone yeah. coming back from injury, he's here, ready to bolster the squads into the final game of the season. This injury, we've got an explanation for, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh lovely to have you back on, Dan. Thank you. It's because we're um, back on. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> it wasn't like everyone was sort of dragged kicking and screaming into doing this podcast. Uh you know, <laughs> I think we've quite we've taken our time, uh briefly allowed ourselves to forget about QPR and sort of digested what came before us this season. Uh but now it is time to review this season as a whole. This awful, painful, very boring at times, false hope bringing, ugly mess, which was QPR 2022-2023. But first, two things, two sort of um, nice little things to talk about. One that reflects back to the past and one that hope that might um, help save QPR in the future. So let's start with the past, the ninth anniversary of Bobby Zamora's goal at Wembley to take us up to the Premier League. And I think that I said to my mate at work today, the day after that game, uh, it just went downhill. We just didn't know it yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, <laughs> we even finished celebrating and they released those horrendous kits with the piston stripe uh, blue hoop shirts Right, and you just knew it was going to be awful. And Pretty soon, forget, Rio Ferdinand was signing. You know, the, like the white patch on the back, yeah. halfway through the hoops for some reason. Um, just awful. But that moment, incredible. Every time you watch it, it just it never fails to amaze me that that is QPR doing that. You know. Yeah, what a time! What I, I distinctly remember. The like half an hour between Gary O'Neill getting sent off, um, and Bobby Zamora scoring, like it was like the hope kind of just seeping out of the stadium, like well our end of the stadium anyway, and then with like every like ridiculous Rob Green save, um, just kind of like you know renewing it, renewing it. Eventually, I just remember everybody just singing "Come on, you are," just like on repeat for about ten minutes. Until we actually got halfway up the pitch and scored. Um, yeah, Funny, poor day. I, I, I don't remember everything about the game. I just remember kind of... I remember vividly uh, Will Hughes diving very early on in the game, trying to get a penalty uh, yeah. off done. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that we had was a great uh, game. A different, a different done. Uh, Richard done. Uh, and then I remember the red card. Remember thinking like that's kind of it, and then the next thing I remember is the goal, um, and actually tell a lie. One other thing, I think Jerry Barton carried Tony Fernandez around the pitch on his shoulders. Now that yeah. you know, you, you know that is that is a big effort from from Jerry because he's he not. I, I don't like him, but he's not a very t- big big guy, and Tony is like. <laughs> 
Yeah. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Dan, I'd be lying if I wasn't hoping that like Joey Barton's shoulders were going to break. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I, just... <laughs> I wanted it to happen. I was like, please collapse. Just please, please break a column. <laughs> along that vein, along that vein, sorry, I distinctly remember the crowd reaction when a certain Argentine midfielder had been ruled out for the season, put the QPR shirt over his suit and tie mm. and just went up to the fans with a bottle of champagne in his hand. I distinctly remember the reaction Fallen got, which was bigger than Barton's, to say the least. Always lovely to see Ali Fallen, regardless of the situation. Um, third time lucky here then. Dan, any memories? <laughs> uh, well, this is my first ever QPR game. Um, so it wasn't a bad one to go to. But I, really, I just remember when Zamora scored. My mate got dragged down about eight flights of stairs. I didn't see him after that. <laughs> um, so no, I, I don't, because well, I was like 10, 11 at that point. So I, I remember the goal, because obviously it was, I was right behind the goal. But yeah, but bar that, it was kind of hanging on for, for dear life at times. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, because there was obviously more people like you where that probably would have been their first QPR game and what a game to get tricked into thinking QPR is a good team to support <laughs> you know like winning at Wembley if your first game ain't that bad I think my first game was a nil-nil against Wigan obviously at Loftus Road <laughs> <And> just, <laughs> just, or we lost against Wigan or something like that it wasn't anything interesting but uh, I was forced to go back uh, my, my cousin who also went to the game with us he it was his first game as well seeing QPR I think he would have he was talking to me about it the other day he would have been like nine at the time which seems absolutely crazy um and he's kind of I wouldn't say he's been hooked on QPR since but he, you know over the last couple of years he's certainly become much more interested in it again um and it's you know it's just mad to think it's nine years ago but the, the beautiful thing is that we can always say we've seen our team win at Wembley and there's a lot of teams that can't say that there's lots of fans that say they've seen the team lose at Wembley and if there's one thing about QPR is that we you know don't have a bad record at Wembley at all <laughs> you know a couple of you know three finals one replay unfortunately lost one game drawn the other and then won two of them so you know not too bad at all um so yeah Wonderful memories, I think. We'll and a few more finals. <laughs> Those are the three we have to go off. <laughs> I wonder what the sort of like odds are on like another one, and what how old we'll be when that was when it's most likely to happen. Well, it won't be through the FA Cup. I can guarantee you that it's not going to be an FA Cup final. <laughs> Johnston's <laughs> paint trophy seems more like <laughs> the FA Trophy or nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Another thing to mention then, uh, some other good news uh, released today, the England squad featuring uh, Um Now, privately in our group chat behind the scenes, I've been very biased, if you can believe it, saying to everyone that Eze should be in the squad. I was saying it pre-World Cup, which, you know, probably wasn't... You were saying early. it in 2019. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> Gareth has finally seen sense, hasn't he? Um, I think it's, at this point it's lovely that he's in there because he was in the long list for the Euros and he got that horror injury and you know he genuinely deserves it 
Um, and how ironic that he's potentially replacing Raheem Sterling, <laughs> former QPR. Well, I'm not going to say player, but academy prospect. Um, <laughs> you know, he is been he's been it's been bizarre, isn't it? Because I don't think many people would have said the return of Roy Hodgson would have unleashed Eze and all the other talent that Crystal Palace have there. But regardless, it's brilliant to see him in there because one is he's a lovely guy, two, he's a great player, and three, more money for us, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I hope he does. I hope he does well. To be fair, I think it um I think also if you notice Mason Mount isn't in the squad. So I don't know if anybody anybody that was on um QPR Twitter in 2018, 2019 oh, remembers yeah, remember the, yeah. the Eze versus Mount debates. But someone put something this morning this uh, this afternoon about it as well. Yeah, I mean I see it as a win for Eze, to be honest with you. Well, you know what? In the end, these football terrorists, it comes to you all. Like, you know, they got too cool. They're coming from out <laughs> now. Like it happens. <laughs> You get found does out. Remember, does anyone remember um, Ovi Ajaria versus... Uh, oh, yeah. Of course yeah. I remember. <laughs> Ajaria got a club at the moment. Didn't he just get released? I wouldn't... Well, probably. Yeah. So Having said that, for, we would definitely so. sign him. Right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what's his injury record? If if he plays less than 25... Bad. Yeah, there we go. He's coming to us. There we go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fantastic news about Eze. Uh, we're all delighted, and it means uh, when Newcastle or whoever it is get their big fat Saudi backed checkbook out to steal him off Palace, that 20% or whatever it is of that fee, we come into 25. us 25, even better. Look at that, Eberi Eze saving QPR not just once, not twice, probably three times, maybe even four. <laughs> Um, so that's all the good news. Let's get into the shit stuff. Um, right, this season was painful on many levels for a variety of reasons. At times, like I said, it was utterly boring and it looked like it was going to sort of peter out to nothing. At times, it was dreadfully scary, and then very briefly at the start of the season, it was actually quite enjoyable. But, Micah, you said a couple of times that this was a massive waste. I'm sure your opinion hasn't changed in the two weeks since we have. Uh, succumb to a defeat to Bristol City, but you know, just sort of go through that sort of feeling again because I think it's in the right place to start. Yeah, I mean, um, ironically, I was listening back to our pre season podcast, or at least a half of it that I managed to upload. Um, <laughs> <laughs> please, guys, don't don't go and look My at the start of the season, don't, uh... do, don't, don't, don't do that because that would be. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I think I said ninth, and Dan, I think you said 13th. Yeah, 13th, 14th, something like that. Yeah. So, actually, in hindsight, we probably finished <laughs> where we all expected. But I think um, just in terms of the squad, just in terms of, you know, having Willock and chair, I, I suppose Willock probably wasn't ever fit at any point in this season. But having Willock and chair, I think, really tying down that left-back position with Powell, who I think is a really, really good left-back at this level, um, and getting Ethan Laird in as well. Uh, that bit of promise. I thought the midfield three, you know, Phil, Irabunum and Johansson had a bit of potential, but of course we couldn't keep Johansson on the pitch. And obviously just the the collapse again. Um, you know, I, th- I think now in hindsight we can talk about there's clearly something fundamentally wrong there, whether it 
is with the coaching under Warburton in terms of set pieces, how that just persisted, uh, playing in front of teams, being unable to get in behind, or whether there's issues with the squad, the recruitment, maybe there's too many guys there kind of looking to go to their next club, kind of looking to use QPR as a stepping stone. Um, I think whatever it is, is unfortunately been laid bare um, with Mick Beal leave, maybe even before Mick Beal left, Mick Beal's last five games. Um, so it just it's like you said, Alex, it just feels like one big, massive car crash, really. Um, Dan, the teams that eventually finished up into the uh, top six, obviously you've got the two outstanding clubs at the top that we're not really interested in. But we, if you look at the playoff teams, well, even still, you know, we've beaten... Uh, Sheffield United got points off of them on three occasions. Um, we beat Coventry twice out of four games across the last two seasons. Beat Luton twice across, off, you know, across four games over the last two seasons. And against Middlesbrough, beat them twice, drew once, and then lost one. So you look at that, um, you look at how close it was and how many teams there were still fighting for playoff points uh, later on into the season um, and that surely just reinforces what Michael was saying this is an average season for you know there's some good teams in there but there's points to be had games where we could have won and you know it's been a big letdown hasn't it yeah no yeah I'd echo what Mike said I think it doesn't surprise me a lot of the teams out there though you've got your loot and your commentaries like they are run far better than we are at the minute. That they're aligned from top to bottom. Um, even Sunderland, I know they spend money. And they spent money on I think Jack Clark and other players, but they're they're signing signing players from Premier League to young players that have got potential to develop, and they're getting their loans right as well. I think that's something that we've not got right this season. Um, obviously, see the same hindsight, but Bar maybe Tim um, not really nailed the loan. The low market world, obviously Richards, Roberts, Laird, he's been uh, he's been good in parts. Uh, who else have we got? Low, low, yeah, he's been a bit he's been underwhelming. So we haven't even hit that kind of area, right? And you look at the teams that are up there that have got loans, they they kind of add that bit of extra bit of quality. Um, and like you say, the league's not been um, very good uh, at least quality this year, and I think it's going to get stronger next year. So I think we. Probably had a missed opportunity. We got our acts together, really. I mean, you look at the four teams that are well. Southampton are getting relegated. You look at the it's other just... teams that are in the um, relegation zone or just outside. There's teams there that are going to throw their money about. And then, like you said, Ipswich and Plymouth coming up from the league below. They're teams that are, appear to be run well at this point. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but they seem you know they've got their act together for this season. Plymouth certainly seem like a side with a lot of momentum and energy behind them. And then also, yeah, you know, what was it? Barnsley or Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, that's Barnsley relegation season confirmed uh, if they get promoted. But yeah, unless they do something stupid. But, but, you know, like maybe that's the one side. uh, Maybe that's, you know, the one side that you wouldn't necessarily be too worried about coming up. I don't know about Sheffield Wednesday. They're a bit of a weird one. You know, you saw that in their se- semi-final the other night, <laughs> losing 4-0 to Peterborough, then to go and win on penalties in the end is uh, 
a bizarre way to go about things. But then again, you know, we are quite happy to see the back of Peterborough for another season. Um, <laughs> end of season awards. Um, I think I annoyed the person in front of me when discussing the player of the year award with someone else in the ground. Um, because they they had said that uh, we should give Luke Amos another contract because of you know he's because of talent and such things. And I said, well, you can't really give him another contract considering he's out for half the season majority of the time, regardless of how good he is. And he's not like sort of chair levels of or Willock levels of brilliance. So like you know he's important, but you can surely find someone that can do that job elsewhere. And he said, well, you know, at the end of the day. If you you sign players like Amos or you get players like Rob Dickey, I was like, well, at least you could say I don't quite know what you're talking about, mate. But <laughs> what is the logic behind this? <laughs> at least you know, at this least Rob Dickey's actually turned up for majority of the season. Uh, you know, actually been on the pitch, regardless of whether he's been any good or not. He's not exactly hidden away, has he? Um, and after all, <laughs> our player of the season got the award because he turned up in every game. Which is kind of true with Sam Fields. Um, not necessarily Sorry, the most I'm, amazing I'm still, season. I'm still stewing on the idea that you only signed Luke Amos or Rob Bickey. There's no other footballers. <laughs> in the I think it was, you sign a player like Amos or you get a journeyman like Rob Dickey, was his words. He's like, well, that's just yeah, a silly I mean, thing to say. Rob Dickey's had one bad season. Um, that's an opinion, I guess. <laughs> But anyway, Sam Field um, has one player of the season. I expressed the view a couple of episodes ago that we should just not do it because no one really deserves it. Um, I, I don't, <clears throat> I'm not a fan of sort of like, oh, give player of the season to the fans either. No, just don't oh, do God. it. Um, but yeah, I think he, he's got this award for being average when everyone else has been shite. <laughs> Uh, it's to sum it up, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit harsh. It might be true, but it's a bit harsh. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I was in favour of Kenneth Powell getting it. I said on the pod the other week because I, I felt a couple of those centre midfield shifts that um Field did when he was playing a bit further up and. Johansson was the defensive midfield. Anyone remember those days? Those days, glory. Yeah, they does, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I mean, it's 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 an open secret that Sam Field isn't the best in possession. I think he said it in his um, player of the season interview um, after, before the game, sorry, against Bristol City. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, just be positive. I mean, you know, I, I think he's a good player. For this level, I think he he seems to be quite committed to the club, and Ainsworth seems to be all in on him. Kind of maybe being. I think Dobson definitely was. He said it's something about uh, he could have eleven Soundfield and team. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think he had the armband for this. If I'm remembering correctly, did he have the armband for the City game? I can't remember. Possibly, um, yeah, possibly. But I think they they see him as the leader going forward of this team. So, yeah. I think I think Chair could have maybe had the shout personally, maybe Chair or Powell, but yeah, I think the one, the one, the one for me that was a bit not weird, but young player of the year, I'd have given to Irabuna personally. Yeah. I don't, don't think you can give a striker that hasn't scored a goal, but he's had some impact. Uh, young player of the year, but he's not but played like, a full ninety either. No, no, 
but it was always going to be that the fans' choice because um, everyone loves him. So I, I really thought yeah, I kind of uh, with Irabunim as well. I just don't think the fans would go in on giving a, a, an award to a lone player. Which well, that's the it. Case. Like, that's the that's the narrative, isn't it? All the yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad, none of them don't care. But you know, when it comes to Rob Dickey playing badly or Chris Willock, who pretty clearly just can't be asked anymore, um, when it comes to, of uh, when it comes to players that are at the club, they're supposedly for some reason way more committed than the lone players. I I just don't quite buy that narrative. Don't get me wrong; some of them have been horrible loans, but I I don't think that they're like they they hate QPR the way this narrative has just come about. I yeah. mean, you look at it, Tim. Tim's just had surgery. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty likely that he was putting off that surgery to try and keep QPR in the league. Now, I don't think he loves QPR, but I think it's pretty clear that he has some level of like professional respect. You'd say, yeah, he clearly cared about the situation we were in. I think it's yeah. just it's just easy to create this narrative because we had it before at QPR where people didn't care. So now it's just the thing we throw around, I guess. I think also he played like three different roles, didn't he? I don't know if he played the deep role often, but he played that number eight role and then under Ainsworth he kind of uh played more on number ten shadow striker that role and he scored a couple of goals. So I mean the, the kid's got quality if he can play three roles and do them to a good good ability. One award that I don't think there'll be any Disagreement over uh, goal of the season is obviously going to be Seni Dieng. I mean, there's wow. been better goals scored, but when your goalkeeper scores a goal, am I in the minority? I I, I wouldn't have it as goal of the season. I wouldn't have it. I, I don't know whether I when I say it was inevitable. I mean, like on the public vote, it was never going to be anything else. I, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. No, not with like you said, Willock hasn't bothered for the last part of the season. Yeah. Regardless of how bad the has been, at least he's actually there, you know. Which, as we've already discussed, people put a lot of weight on people that actually turn up to games. Um, there's be- there's better goals, absolutely. You know, Willock, yes, first game of the season uh, at home against Middlesbrough, chair against Hull. That yeah, goal's that was ridiculous. Good, like that. yeah, That's just so it makes it look so easy. Um, but you know, when you're goal, even the free kick, we don't score free kicks. Chess scored a free kick for God's sake. Like, That's more rare than a keeper scoring at QPR. He scored two this year, didn't he? Sunderland and Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough, yeah. Middlesbrough was a bit more fluky, wasn't it? Oh. Yeah, I mean, Zach Steffen's made about ten a... errors this season. Well, it? as I said in my first uh, preview old program column of the season, Zach Steffen will do as Zach Steffen does. And most of the time, that's a mistake. Sorry, I just I just wanted to um, point out as well on the subject of direct free kicks before we move on. The other day, Yoan Barbe scored his third free kick of the season for his that's, new club in France. That's um, might as well rub in the wounds whilst we're doing the uh, rough sort in the wounds whilst we're doing the yeah. I, that's I, rough I to hear. There. That is actually there was a lot of we watched a lot of those free kicks go wide. Speak for yourself. When he lined it up, I just started looking at my phone because I knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, well, he clearly can score them. And, you know, I, you, you'd always hear people say, he must be smashing him in at training. Like, <laughs> every time he would miss it. Um, here's an award that might have 
but this isn't actually one that was given out and you'll realize that for obvious reasons but we'll add this on as an our generation award a slightly negative one um but there might be a few candidates for this uh, flop of the season oh god the choices are plentiful <laughs> i mean you've got permanent players that have flopped in the sense that i don't think any of towards the back end of the season the centre-backs didn't do anything. Actually, any of the centre-backs are up for this award. Uh, all four of them <laughs> for a ver- variety of reasons. Dieng hasn't had a great season considering he conceded one six in one game. Yeah, one person. Could, couldn't we? Okay, centre-back flop of the season. Um, this could be difficult. It's it really tough. Could. I'm, I'm going to say Clark Salter just because of the man we were just talking about he replaced. I was waxing lyrical on the pod in the pre-season preview that we did. Oh, we've upgraded. We've got a younger centre-back who's better um, <laughs> can play in a back four. Um, so, um, and then to play, how many games did he play? Does anyone have the number? Yeah, it's less 16. than 20. Actually, it's hard because I think everything was starts. Well, yeah. How many of them as well did he finish? Oh, I don't have that to, to on me. Um, yeah, I don't either. Just played over a thousand minutes. It's annoying because every game he played, I thought, well, not every game, but most of the games he played in, I was like, man, he's really good. Like He's, yeah. he's class, isn't he? Like, he's got a serious centre-back here. And then we wouldn't see him for six weeks. Uh, so, Left-back, I assume, Nico, why not? <laughs> did he play this year? Yeah, he played mm. to Charlton. Yeah, Charlton, And they made, like, they made him look... Oh, Sunderland as well, didn't he? Sunderland yeah. away. Yeah, you did. I don't think you could say any flops for right back. They've pro- they've done. I think there's admirable performances. Aaron first half against Blackpool. Possibly, uh, yeah. But he got he got better in the second half. Um, so, centre mid. Um, Dizel. You... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Johansson is a strong one as well, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's, it's got to be Dizel from there. Yeah, I genuinely yeah. forgot about Dizel until you said that. That's that sums him up. Uh, let's say let's have like attacking sort of let you know sort of because it's changed over the season. Your number ten left wing right wing role merged all of them together. There's an obvious one. I think it's yeah. going to have to be Richards, isn't it? It is Richards, isn't it? Yeah. It's Richards or Roberts. I think uh, that's by the sheer, sheer virtue of those two goals he scored against Reading, which looked like they might have been the difference between us potentially having a really tough last day against Bristol City or not, I have to give it to Richards, unfortunately. Although I believe he will come good. I firmly believe it. The thing I'm is, like, anytime you see him, you're like, oh, this boy's clearly got talent. I just, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, maybe it's false hope, but I, I, what I see of him, I know they're only 10, 15 minute cameos, but I'm always like, he could really like raise the level of his team. He looks like athletically, he looks like he wouldn't struggle. You know, Chair had like kind of an adjustment season or two physically. It doesn't look like Richards would need that. And he's kind of of the technical level to play there. It's just. Like yeah. you said a couple of podcasts ago, at some point we've got to go all in on him. So it may as well, well we have now. no choice. We so... have no choice, really. Uh, flop of the season for striker, Macaulay Bond. There's only normally Dykes, isn't it? So, uh, did Bond play a few Bond? games? I guess you could include Lowe as a striker as well. 
Yeah. Alright, you can include him probably going. I don't think you could say Dykes is a was a flop. No, I, no, I wouldn't I might be surprised flop, to hear me say that. But... No, no, I was just saying because he's the only striker. That's yeah, only striker we've got. getting Chris Martin. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, his his goal against Burnley is probably going to go down. Yeah. Um, yeah. overall, who was the sort of what was the lowest point player wise? Who's been the worst? I'm just going to say Dazelle because in two years, I d- are we still talking about that assist for Andre Gray? <laughs> no, no one's talking about it because people just fed up. Like, <laughs> just had another, it's, oh, like they, they, again, another one that like maybe it points to the new direction we're probably going to under the new manager, but another one that's very sound technically looks like he's got the right things about him, but just completely ineffective. Like he's played as a six. Played as an eight. I think under Critchley, he played a couple games as like a ten. Even 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 in Ainsworth, he's like the most positive guy you know. I can't remember what game it was. It was like one of the last few home games of the season. He went batshit him because he didn't he didn't press properly. Like he went fully berserk on the touchline. See, I didn't see Ainsworth from my position. Yeah, it's the only time I've seen him angry, and it was a Dazelle because he didn't do something he wanted. I think um, it was you, Mike. I think it was you that said. Or like you put it in our group chat, a couple one of the games, like you know, as you say, like Ainsworth is really positive in the press and stuff like that, and he backs the players. But there's a couple of like people that sit in the paddock near him, and he's like going mental in every single game, going, "You fuck this, yeah. you shit, you this, whatever." Like you, they really like he really lays into them onto the pitch. He's not all Mister Nice Guy. Yeah, I mean. But I, yeah, I mean that's him, isn't it? I suppose. I suppose he he probably wants to protect the players, so in the media he won't come out and say anything. Although I will say, if you read between the lines in a lot of his post game interviews, they're not as nice as they sound. I think he's, no, he's there's, very, there's I mean, quite a few backhanded compliments, isn't there? Like <laughs> it's all been backhanded. Some of it is is quite funny looking back on it. Um, but yeah, I mean. He did. He got to the end of the season in one piece. So, so when you're listening to this podcast, you might realise that we are quite a way into it at this point. We haven't really started discussing anything in too much detail just yet. Um, but maybe we can start doing that now. Um, but we have got some. I assume we've we, we've all got other plans. We don't want to sit here talking about QPR's horrific season. Um, for the rest of the evening. So let's move it on. Uh, Mick Beal then. The transfers that he brought in at the start of the season. This is a point of contention that has run throughout the season and it's an ongoing theme because obviously, you know, he's he did the bulk of the transfer work, clearly. Um, and when I say that, I mean, like, you know, he wanted particular players um, and by and large, we got those players. You know, he didn't actually have any... He kept the players at the club that he wanted. He got players in from elsewhere that he wanted that might not necessarily have been the right thing to do. Um, But he got what he wanted at the start of the season. And how much, Dan, did that attitude that the club took in allowing him what he wanted, how much did that damage us throughout the season? Um, well, in hindsight, quite a bit. I don't think anyone anticipated him to leave that early into his uh, 
distant. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not really for the approach of. I don't think many people are managers kind of taking the overriding. Um, I mean, they can have their say on players, but like that's the whole point, kind of why the div, uh, director of football is there, so they're kind of the go-between. Um, so it definitely, definitely damaged us. Um, I mean, on the flip side, I can't. It's easy to say now that the, the window was bad and the players we brought in were bad, but at the time, I, I have to admit, I was optimistic a little bit. The likes of Jake Clark sorting in a mobile centre half that was good on the ball. Uh, Some probably lacked, apart from Dickie, obviously. Uh, maybe not as mobile, but but still, obviously, Powell has brought him. Um, technically good. Uh, Ira Boone was a young player that I was excited about. And, and I, I thought there might have been something getting Richards and Roberts uh, back to full fitness and they could have they could have been on a good, good runner for themselves. So I'd be lying if I said that um, that the window wasn't good when I, at the time. But um, yeah, in terms of in terms of the players and the damage the damage was uh, done at that point when he left. Yeah. Um, do you think with hindsight, Micah, that he was given way too much free reign? I think the obvious comparison we have is the, I mean, it's, it's it's a difficult one because actually Powell's worked out all right, but, you know, we've wanted that Cox fella who plays out in Holland yeah. for about three years. Um, we still don't have him. Whether that is intention intentional or not, you don't know. There could be other things behind the scenes, but usually, and because it, 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 the rumours about Cox come from West London sport, Unless it's mm. their sort of like traditional season transfer season opener, um, they don't usually post that sort of mm-hmm. transfer gossip without it being substantial, especially when they put their own name to it. Mm. Um, so was he given way too much free reign? Well, I think when you consider some of the managers that we've had come through the door that have had years of experience, who you know, in the end, they probably did get their they probably have every manager in the end has got what they wanted. It feels like if you just say to the owners, hey, give me this guy, I'm going to get you promotion. They're like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm in, absolutely. Um, it, it was a bit strange from minute one. I think the PR stuff they did with Powell with the, oh yeah, he was the first name he said he wanted, which was really funny because we had him on our targets board. You know, whether, whether, that, whether that was true or not, um, you know that kind of it kind of felt like there we were playing almost a losing game already with oh he's come in and said he wanted this guy so we got him and also he thinks he can get the best out of Tyler Roberts and also there's this kid at Aston Villa that he coached that he really loves and you know it it, it it's quite weird I know he's got a great reputation but especially I mean hindsight's a funny thing but to look back and to think a guy that's never managed a game of club football any level to come in and just be like yeah I want him him and him Um, I'm gonna get him bit odd I thought yeah I think that's kind of what probably one of the things that deep down hurts a couple of QPR fans quite a bit because we did kind of bow down to it bow down to him and it's this sort of like once he gets you in the room he'll convince you to do anything sort of like you know ability of his apparently that seems to have worked quite well for him but like you said that when someone like that starts a job in management the club have got to sort of pull a bit 
a bit of weight there, haven't they? They've got to be sort of like, no, actually, you know, we've got this scouting set up or we've had this and owned this player for X amount of years. Realistically, we're not going to give you absolutely everything you want. We'll do something to sort of like find the player in the profile that you want, but it might not necessarily be the player that you watched in the under eights tournament, uh, you know, back mm. when you were coaching at Liverpool or Chelsea or something like that, you know? Like, it just seems a little bit silly, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it comes down as well to what Dan was saying earlier about alignment. And I've seen a lot of people talking about alignment recently. Um, and it just comes down to that, you know? You, you can have a director of football and a head of recruitment that, you know, have said that these are the type of players we want to go for. But what's really the point in having them if the manager can go above him at any point and say to the owners, oh, you know, I really want this player. Like, can you make it happen? It's it's, it's not conducive to any long-term project. It's just, you know, for the here and now, which, I mean, maybe the thinking was Bill's going to be, he won't be gone after a season. So I have some sympathy there. But, you know, it's it's a harsh lesson that we've had to learn this year. Mm-hmm. I think I think also on, on the kind of Bill controlling stuff, when he came in, don't, don't forget, he didn't want any of the uh, key players sold as well. So mm. that was kind of already a, a that, start of... That should have been a red flag for them, really. I mean, like as fans, we can get giddy and carried away. But that's because we're fans and we're allowed to do that, you know? The, the, the adults are meant to be in charge of the club. We shouldn't be sitting here and there shouldn't be other publications run by fans or websites run by fans that have to say you know where's the adult in the room in this situation when you set out to be a selling club you need to be a selling club and you, they should have looked at it at the end of last season and thought okay we've kind of given the playoffs that's a bit that that we've given that up a little bit whoever comes in we've got to sell one of these players and realistically the most likely would have been i, I was probably i'll probably say willick or dieng now, it would have been hard to replace them. Um, arguably, you might not actually need to replace Willock, considering you've got another pretty good number 10 who's a lot more committed to the club in chair. Willock never looked like signing a new deal, even at the end of last season. And it hasn't, it's not, they, they clearly haven't tried to get him to sign another deal because they knew that, but they're going to extend it by one year. Hindsight says he should have been sold last year. Dieng, there was at least a bit of flirtation around him, although I think it was a lot of speculation. There was a few Premier League clubs that were interested. You know, they should have been... That's when you should be putting your foot down as a club, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think... I mean, I think so. I mean, I think we even said at the back end of last season we were expecting two or three to go. It was almost a shock that they stayed. Um I think again, hindsight hindsight is quite easy, but I think it's pretty clear that there's something that smells at QPR within that playing squad because that that collapse at the end of the season wasn't normal, and this collapse is just like a prolonged version of what we had at the back back end of last season. For me, for me, it would have made sense, not necessarily to break it all up, but to to you know, there's profitable players there. Let's start. Let's rebuild. The championship, the championship landscape seems to be changing a little bit. Um, we go again, but you know, I I'd, I'd said it before. I wonder what he said in his interview that enticed the owners 
in the director of football is that much because it's all very strange. Um, th- this is a bit of a weird question, Dan, but you know, looking back on it with twenty twenty hindsight, obviously, you know, it was you could argue it was the wrong decision to be appointing him. What with what we know now, at the time, it was the right decision, though, wasn't it? Because I remember being quite excited about it. It seemed like QPR had actually done something interesting for once. Yeah, yeah. Now at the time, I think considering the links and stuff was was Sol Campbell one of the links or something like that at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Indrith as well, probably, and Critchley. <laughs> yeah. Well, Critchley went to Villa, didn't he? At that point. Uh, well, following him, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. he probably was on the... I don't know what the time frame was, but you wouldn't have been surprised if he was, wasn't on the list, you know? Yeah, yeah no, it was definitely, I think it was the right move, obviously, development background, youth coaching, that was kind of the the path we were on to. Um, and yeah, it did seem exciting, like I said, before the, the window and stuff, bringing players in, but... That kind of ended uh, rather quickly, and uh, yeah, it went south from there. I think he had his sights on one thing, and we had it on it. I think on paper it made sense in terms of what we were a development club and whatnot. I think it was pretty clear to me, probably about two weeks before the start of the season, he had bigger things in his mind. I remember him getting upset about the pre-season predictions and nobody putting us in the playoff places. I think, um, top, I think to Clive, he said top 10 minimum he wanted. Yeah, and I I think that was a bit of smoke and mirrors. I think in his head, he had his eyes on playoffs minimum. Um, which, again, I mean, can you really blame the club for that? Maybe, maybe not. But it, it, it in hindsight... We, we've said, though, like, it was a missed opportunity. So, like, someone that comes in with that attitude isn't the worst thing. It's just... That attitude has got to stick around oh. for the whole season. Yeah, no, no, but I, I, I think there was an element of naivety there. If it, if it's true that he said there's only one job that he would ever, which we know wasn't true, but he'd apparently told us with with Rangers that if Rangers had ever come in for him, um, he'd want to go, and he was offered, he was supposedly offered the Rangers job before we went to Villa with Gerard. So. Knowing the the beast that the SPL is, even though the what's his name had made the Europa League final months earlier, you know, it was always possible. Like they they churn out managers at those two clubs like it's nothing. So well, one of them does now, the other one doesn't. Well, the other one doesn't because the other one's winning now. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm being harsh with the benefit of hindsight. But um. How long will Bill's departure loom over QPR, do you think? <laughs> At least until we get rid of some of these players. <laughs> I think some people, I'm just going to say it, I think some people just need to get over it now. Get over it. Certain people, I won't say their names, but all three of us know who they are, will not stop talking about it. It was two managers ago. It's over. The season is over. The lone players are gone. The three players are probably going to go. Just let it go. It's over now. It's done. Yeah. Dan, do you think this um, is going to be something that keeps on getting I brought reckon, up? Yeah. Well, if, he, if he wins something or does something at Rangers, I imagine uh, he'll get brought up again at some point. But 
yeah, I think now now the season's done and we've we've stayed up. Um, it don't really matter anymore, to be honest. Would we have made playoffs if Beal stayed? Do you think? I think top with ten 20, maybe. Twenty twenty hindsight there. Mm, yeah, I'd say I'd say top ten minimum probably. I think I think the one thing the one thing he did do in that shot, albeit short period, was get the best out of the players available. Um, and but he did run him into the ground though, didn't he? Like yeah, no, is, of course, of course. And that kind of, you know, with that, knowing how the player, you know, Willock and Amos and others would have been the same, I would have imagined, regardless of who was manager come the end of the season. Or might have been worse. Yeah, I don't know. I think the one thing the one thing that he did do that not, not every manager, as we've seen, have done this season is uh, play play players to the to the best of their ability in the right system. Um, yeah. And now he got the best out of Cherry and Willock at that point. And they were on fire, to be honest with you. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're spot on. Um, but it, there is, I guess, an argument to be made about the burnout possibly would have always happened because, as per usual, there was an over-reliance on Chair and Willock. Yeah, I might, he might have sweet-talked the owners into getting some more players in January, to be honest. <laughs> he probably could have. I... I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I wonder, just because I, I don't know if you guys read that, that piece in the Daily Mirror before um, the Burnley game, which I think was time to be a demise of QPR type article. And then Chris Martin supposedly had other ideas, but um, they they wrote that the five game span before Bill left, where we didn't win any uh, supposedly sources around the club, which could be anything from real people to imaginary people named Roderick. Um, they said that... <laughs> they, <laughs> They'd said that essentially the playing squad had felt like um, the manager had a spell on them after the Wolves thing, and a lot of them maybe weren't as committed. Um, you know, uh, other people said different things. Rob Dickey was on the um, QPR podcast the other day saying that he felt like they had some of their best training sessions in his last couple of weeks. But I, I, I think maybe there was there was something there with the players that they maybe thought they couldn't trust the manager anymore I'm I I don't know but like based off what I read I wonder how the season would have panned out if he'd stayed the whole season I wonder if it maybe would have gone as swimmingly as we all like maybe like to think let's talk about Critchley then the second of three managers um well four if if you include Paul Hall wasn't it I don't as caretaker, but, but we don't. Um, <laughs> started well, ended awfully, I'd say. And when I say started well, I mean started well in like 90 minutes. And then after that 90 minutes, it wasn't very good after that. Um, you know, uh, he it had was 88 that... good minutes at home. <laughs> <Sheffield United. laughs> no, the win against Preston, mate. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I was saying, but I was saying after that we had eighty-eight yeah, good minutes. Um, the defeat to Fleetwood, digging out his players, really like you know, really give him a kick up the ass very quickly in the press, uh, which is a completely different attitude to what Ainsworth would take later on. Um, he's now back at Blackpool. Was he doomed? Like from the start was this never ever going to go well mm. anyone either one of you no it's um, go, go down first yeah, yeah yeah i mean it was a tough it was a tough 
don't know. It probably looked better on the outside when he took the job at the time. So obviously, I know we had the five games uh, winless or whatever. But um, at that point, we were, I don't know where we were on the table, just outside the playoffs. Um, he probably thought if he could, could turn the form around, he could probably pick it up. Um, yeah, I don't know. He, I wasn't I wasn't as as low as some people were on Critchley, to be honest. I've never, I think on the one of the previous podcasts when we were asked, should, I, should we sack Critchley? I probably said no at the time, but I mean, I think he's a good coach. I still think I still think he's a he's a good enough manager to um to be in the championship. Obviously, he's now he's a Blackburn League one, but yeah, it never really worked out for him. I don't think the uh, Fleetwood uh, post-match rant exactly helped him with the players at that point. Yeah, I was going to say that felt, you know, again, with the benefit of hindsight, that was really the beginning of the end, wasn't it? That that um, that was like his fourth game or something? Well, yeah, we only got 12, so... It <laughs> <laughs> was a third of the way into his tenure. I, don't, I, don't, I think that felt like the beginning of that and the thing which you all know rubbed me the wrong way when he said it's got nothing to do with tactics that really wound me up and I'm sure it wound the players up. Um, hard to say, hard to say. I can tell you for a fact it will probably go and do really well at Blackpool and we'll look like idiots. But I, I'm, I mean, yeah, it, it felt like a poison chalice anyway. It probably didn't help that he was best friends with the last manager, so I can't imagine that had gone down well everywhere. Um, but then I, I also think, like, you know, you, you start playing Sam Field at right wing in a 4-4-2. We have one striker at the club, you're playing 4-4-2. Like, some of it just, just yeah, he didn't... he didn't help himself, did he? It just didn't make I think, sense. I do think that was blown out of proportion a little bit, though. Like, for, for me, it wasn't, like, it was out of possession, not in possession, so I could see where he's coming from. Even Sam Field said in a recent interview on, I think, one of the podcasts, he said he had to do the defensive work on the right side. I mean, I know it's different, but I think a lot of people are getting attached to to, to that kind of narrative. Yeah, right? yeah, but I, I mean, I mean, more so as well. Just, just the shape in general. I never really quite understood. Like, I think that Laird and Powell had been, for my money, the best two fullbacks in the league under Beal, and then to they roll kind of. Changed, especially Leeds as well. I just think it didn't make didn't make sense. I felt there was an element of wanting to put too much of his own stamp on the team when it's like, look, the team's been recruited to play a certain system. Teams played with a back three or with two tens for the best part of eighteen months. You know, kind of just don't fix what isn't broken. I. Yeah. The thing is with his tenure, I felt like it got to the point, and some people got really. You know, before the Burnley game, I think I mentioned this when we were, I was on just you, Micah, people got really revisionist very quickly. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, Critchley was building to something, you know, like we shouldn't have sat him, we sat him way too early. I just thought like, it, it might, uh, you know what, I thought it was a good decision to let, to get rid of him, purely because it wasn't doing him any favours staking along. He wasn't going to just resign. He was going to try his best to keep us up. And fair enough, because, you know, you have to have that belief in yourself when you are a professional football manager. Otherwise, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, then who the hell is? But mm. it was not going well. The players were down in tools at times. The game against Sunderland, which was awful. Remember, like, 
I said to you like that um, Jimmy Dunn was making sort of runs up into the uh, attacking third of the pitch like Stephen Corker used to do, and then like we'd be exposed at the back, and it was awful. It was a definite sort of like this is the the last straw, and he was lucky probably to get the Middlesbrough game purely because it would have taken a bit of time to sort of try and find someone reasonable. They would have made the decision earlier than they actually did that he's got to go, but they had like a little bit of buffer room. And people could say now with benefit hindsight that, you know, it was Ainsworth that dragged us down into the relegation fight, but we were heading there at some speed under Critchley and it, it, it needed something to change that unfortunately he wasn't, I didn't think he was ever going to be able to provide um, I'm sure he will do better elsewhere, but it, you know it just wasn't doing anyone any favors. The best thing was just to move on, take the risk on someone else, and see if they could get you know because you know at least when they did go for Ainsworth, it was a complete stylistic change. It's sort of like we're going to do something completely different, which kind of probably what was needed. And in the end, it worked out. You couldn't see Critchley playing the way we did at at Burnley to just grind out that win. We would have considered, we would have considered so think, many guys. Like with, with going Ainsworth and the, the the start, obviously it's in hindsight it's work, but I think at the same time it's a risk because you're ch- you're changing style pretty pretty drastically, like mid season, what eight nine games to go, and Ainsworth changed a couple of times, like like even like subtle tweaks. I mean, the big one was going from man to man to zone or early doors, but um, yeah, he changed quite a bit, and if that didn't go well, it wouldn't have gone down well with the board or the fans. I don't think. No, but I think it gets to the point where you have to do something, otherwise there's just no point doing it. Uh, you know, I know that, um, okay, some people say football is like a simple game over complicated. Some people like to make it complicated, whatever. But I think footballers in themselves should be able to, you know, especially when you're playing second division football, um, even a drastic sort of stylistic change I don't think it's that much to ask from professional footballers, you know. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I disagree. I think yeah. we changed three different. Like, I was having this conversation with my brother. I think it was, and like, despite Critchley to or Bill to Critchley being like a kind of semi-transitional change that like was similar to to an extent, we like out possession. There've been three, three or four drastically different. Uh, systems and that's a lot to take on mid-season even with a World Cup break that wasn't utilised correctly from our part our part with uh, Bill and, and Paul Hall obviously there so I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I agree on that exactly I think I think players have to take on some level of responsibility but sometimes it's an overload of information it's quite I'm, I'm not to... I'm not doubting it's hard but like you know at the end I think, of the day something has to something had to change no, no, I, I get you. Just got they've just got to adapt to that because I think footballers are afforded quite a bit. Like you know, in a normal job, you are told just to change. It's not like well, no, of, yeah, but I think you don't get adjustment periods. You don't sort of say I can't do this because I've always done my job that way. You know, it's yeah. just I, I it is it's difficult. Time. I'm not denying that. Yeah, you know, no, I'm not saying you. I just think in general, I think it's a bit of an easy stick to beat footballers with saying there. They're professional footballers like they have to follow said instruction. I think at some point, with the chaos that we've kind of had this season, there's got to be like not empathy, but like there's only so much information you can take and keep changing constantly. Well, because you look at like the Lutons, the Coventries, 
they have stability and then and that's why they've got the results through recruitment through playing style through uh, everything and we didn't we haven't had any uh stability this season really at all so i think i think that's kind of uh, the hindrance as well um signing low was the only addition in january was that enough considering the sort of situation oh sorry martin as well how do i forget how do i forget martin but martin wasn't going to be signed you know unless dyke's got pneumonia yeah i think it's safe to assume low was one that was in the pipeline wasn't it because i think on deadline day there was a deal in place for low but bond hadn't gone um something had something had happened with macaulay bond probably the fact that he's a massive weirdo and something happened but I think his agent had pulled out also. I don't know what happened, but we were supposed to have low from deadline day. I know that much. Um, but Critchley seemed quite keen on him. Seemed like the type of player, the type of background that Critchley liked. So fair play. Um, I have some sympathy for him in that um, he come in to a playoff push, kind of expecting a playoff push. Um, he kind of finished it. Playing right wing on a four four two. Um, I don't. I don't think we ever quite worked out what his best position was for us. Um, but again, like Dan said, I don't think we ever really got the chance. I think within about a few weeks of him being a QPR player, he was gone. Um, Critchley was gone. Um, it wasn't enough. Let's be honest, it wasn't enough. But we had one loan. We had space for one loan, and we'd used up all of our, pretty much our FFP headroom, paying off wages and buying players. So um, it was really kind of our own bed that we made to to line it. Yep. Um, At that point in the season then, Dan, who else would you have liked to see? Not actually, not who else, what position should have been, could have been strengthened? It's a better Good question. Trying to think back to the January, it feels like, it feels like months, well it is months ago, but it feels like ages ago. Um, I mean, at that time, yeah, I think, I think because Critchley Chris, Chris was married, wasn't he? So I think he, because he wanted that, he played that 4 2 3 1 and he kept playing Shadipo over Willock, on correct, or at the time. And he was, I think he was set on like some sort of winger. So I think low in that system probably would have stuck at played on the right wing because we don't really have a natural right wing in the squad. But um, yeah, probably, probably a winger at that time. Um, it, was it was there there suggestions of a backup left back for Powell potentially? But I don't think that was a. a I think a people main... wanted it, but I don't yeah. think. I think it was a serious suggestion, that. was it? Let's be honest. No. Like, you know, re- realistically, the only player we were going to get was low. And I remember saying at the time, "This is going to be the best that we get." And I yeah. still stand by that, like because low is a good championship player mm. on his day, or a bet better than good on his day, and it, it kind of showed straight away. Um, against Reading when he came on he was so much sharper even though he didn't be playing than the rest of our our team but eventually as all as uh, inevitable as time itself QPR wears you down <laughs> um, and you get to a point where I'm not saying he wasn't interested because that's not true but like it got to the end of the season you could clearly see that he kind of he wasn't playing to get Signed on a free next at uh, this he'd year, QPR'd. he'd been QPR'd. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, unlike Q- other players like Liam Balligan, who apparently was playing for a contract, 
<laughs> he won't play very long for it. <laughs> he didn't clearly not, you know, something didn't quite um through the board there. I think he's I, gonna I, get one. That's my hot take. I think that whole thing about him training in pre season. Yeah, yeah, I think he's gonna get one, boys. I won't lie to you. Ainsworth seems to like him as well. So <laughs> he's been released. No, but he's doing yeah, rehab he's, at the club. He's training with us for pre-season. Recovery from his injury. No, no. It's not happening. What, what, what's, what's the Twitter account that announce it? He rocks up for the first pre-season game away at Oxford. <laughs> trialist. <laughs> not trialist. That's a lot like Liam Balligan, guys. <laughs> <laughs> just put a little mustache and glasses on him. Just, no, it's oh, his brother. <laughs> he's really good. He was just signing. <laughs> So, third and final manager for the season, Gareth Ainsworth. Uh, a couple of seasons ago, if you asked me, do you want Gareth Ainsworth to come and manage QPR? I probably would have said yes from nostalgia. Then something changed a couple of seasons ago. Um, Charlie Austin came back to the club, and that's not made me view Charlie Austin in a much in a nicer way, or sort of enhance his reputation anymore. I then came to the conclusion that you should never go back to things, always move forward. And I really didn't want Ainsworth to come in and ruin his reputation as a player with a really bad situation as a manager. So, Dan, how do you think he did in the end? Um, an okay job. Um, I think that was a bit of an overreaction from some fans. Um, I think some people just don't just don't like him. Or his style. Um, I don't really I tell you it, one person that really doesn't like his style. Who's that? He writes for Westland Sport, Dan. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I've not been. I don't. I don't follow him anyway, so I don't really know about. Her. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was painful to watch at times, but we were in a uh, pretty dire situation at that point. Um, the thing I have to give him credit for is his flexibility. Um, Kind of went against what he's known for doing, you know, man for man, pressing high, neither mm-hmm. worked. So he went four four two zonal, and we got the two wins back to back from uh, away from home. So from that sense, uh, I enjoyed his flexibility, but the, the style of football is a bit a bit dull at times. But hopefully, it can it can get better. Yeah, I mean, do you have much hope for the style of play, entertainment factor improving, or do you think it's um, a case of like? You know, if we go into next season, we start winning games. If we win the first three games, one nil, one nil, one nil, no one's going to care. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it gets results. Not care. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a football snob. I don't, I don't mind that style. It's efficient and effective, but um, at times it, it felt quite disjointed. Um, I think there was a West London Sport article saying he wants one v one defenders and pace and athleticism up top. So. Oh, could be don't, exciting. don't we all <laughs> <laughs> so I mean it goes kind of back to I think we're going to give him what he wants but if you if you can bring in a lot of athleticism a lot of mobility I think there's a level that another manager that will come in could work still work with that to an extent as long as you're kind of aligning with the um the philosophy or whatever but I think the style of football is going to say largely the same uh I expect us to to bring more mobility and so we can press higher, go man to man, and we can defend higher up in the space behind the the back line. But 
apart from that, yeah, I think that's as much as we're going to get. Micah, do you hold much hope for better style of play or something a bit more um, entertaining, or are you happy with what we get? It depends what people class as entertaining and a better style of play, really. I mean, um, I am not convinced the way he wants, the way he is famous for playing at Wickham is the way he wants to play or even the way that he was playing towards the end. Um, I don't think we're going to be seeing like, you know, anything close to like Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, but I don't think we'll be seeing 19% possession come the first game of the season, touch wood. Um, I think I think that the, the thing that maybe I'm basing off what I imagine his style of play to be was probably that first... I think 25, 30 minutes at Blackburn before Chair went off injured. Um, I, I probably imagine something close to that. Like Dan said, I think there'll be a bit more athleticism. I think we're we're lacking that in the middle of the park, really outside of Tim. Um, uh, and definitely more pace in the team. Definitely, we need to be able to get in behind teams because that's just one thing we've not been able to do for years now other than like a brief period of Andre Gray. Um so I that's I, when I, Andre I, Gray wasn't offside, you know. When he wasn't offside, yeah, or injured. But I, I I'm not I'm not convinced that like that this is what we'll be seeing. I think Dobson said it as well that this this is just kind of like so it means to an end at the moment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah it means to... to an end. Yeah that's the phrase I was looking for. Yeah. So and who do you think flourished under Ainsworth and who do you think kind of left a lot to be desired? Dykes definitely flourished for me under Ainsworth. Um, yeah. I think that I think that that's I think unfortunately he's probably one of our most sellable assets at the moment. So whether he stays or not is another thing. But I think um, we got an idea of what Dykes would look like uh, under Gareth Ainsworth, and that's these last seven or eight games. Yeah. There's definitely he's not just a lumpet player, is he? He's someone who can do that sort of pressing game as well. And how long that lasts throughout the season is, is something else, I guess. But as we have said before, Dykes should be one of a few strikers at the club and not the only one. Uh, and he has been let down by the club in that sense. So who? Uh, I mean, maybe I think you're probably going to say the same players you said for your flop of the season. But who could sort of left a lot to be desired under Ainsworth, do you think? Um, we'll look, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, fair, fair play, yeah. Yeah, we'll look. Um, I think you can make a, a case for a domer in both sections. He flourished because he got game time and then he left much to be desired because he doesn't really have an impact left on the pitch. Um, yeah. the head kick for the last home game, wasn't it? Oh, that was. Oh. Special. <laughs> Oh, oh blimey! Oh, don't, I forgot about that. Yeah, thanks oh. for reminding me of that, Micah. <laughs> where, where, where I was sat at Loftus Road, right? I was sat in Stanley Bowles' stand, and obviously there's that big old pillar that blocks like a little part of the pitch. Yeah. So I saw the ball go up in the air, and I saw like arms and legs flail, but I saw nothing else. Oh, I was and right then I saw yeah, the yeah. ball hit the back of the net. Um, now that's the second. That's the second time he did it at Birmingham away, not over the head kick, but he like completely missed the challenge, like around that kind of area as well. So I think it's best he stays on the substitute bench on that, that side of the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> um. Obviously, the really you know in amongst 
there was brief highs. Um, I don't. I just, even though we won, won at Burnley, I still don't think I want would have wanted to have been there to see it happen. Um, or maybe I would have enjoyed it if I was actually there. But you've got the one 0 win against Watford, which I really enjoyed. That was a fantastic day, and that wasn't sort of like eighteen percent possession. That was we're going to be as nasty as possible. We're going to really fight for this, and you kind of hoped against all logic that they would carry that on throughout. I wasn't surprised when in the next game um, it didn't happen, but it was then you've got that massive overcorrection to the biggest blip on his record as QPR manager. The 6-1 to the team that got relegated in the end, Blackpool. I mean, thinking back to that night, I you know, I think the only thing I could take away from it from a positive is that Fontaine's DC are actually a very good band and I listened to them a lot throughout the game trying to ignore what was happening in front of me on the TV screen. But um, that was absolutely horrendous, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I switched off at 45 minutes, so I don't know the rest. Yeah, I, I remember messaging the chat at 2-0 and I just said, yeah, see you on Saturday, lad. Come back to the chat an hour later and it was 6-1. I watched the full 90 for some reason. So did my brother. My brother sat there for some reason. I couldn't tear myself away from it. It was one of these ones where it was also, it was so bad that you kind of, you wanted to hide behind the sofa. But unfortunately in my house, there isn't much gap between a wall and the sofa. So I couldn't really get behind there. Um, yeah, it was awful. Like, absolutely horrendous. We've had some absolutely pastings in, in our time. I think back to Fulham in the Premier League. And Fulham quite a few times actually. Yeah, actually. Fulham last year was like yeah. five one. And then also um Newcastle under Hasselbank. Oh god, I tried to forget about that one. That's awful as well. That was painful. Um Forest at home a couple of years ago, 4 0. Don't know if anyone remembers that, but I was there for that. Yeah. Why do we support QPR? <laughs> The thing, um, the, the thing with the Blackpool game, the the the, the not the, it's not really funny, but um, obviously we had Drew coming at that point, didn't we? So yeah. and, and I thought he played quite well in the Rotherham game, although we lost, and that was against Fosu. And then he played well against Jao Pedro or whoever it was on that on that mm-hmm. side. And then he comes up against CJ Hamilton, and he absolutely collapses. Yeah, <laughs> but to be fair to him, he kind of. Swapped in the second half and was all right. Like, oh, the damage was the damage was done by that point. Yeah, no, I know, I know, but I think yeah, that I know, yeah. yeah, it's damage limitations. You try and take whatever positives as possible. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that you can say about Angel's brief tenure at the club? I mean, it was all kind of like I said, it was all a means to an end. Clearly, going for one thing. Actually, here you go. Here's a question for you. Was was it Ainsworth and his management that dragged us further down towards the relegation zone, or were we always going to be uh, in a relegation fight come the final ten games of the season, even if Ainsworth wasn't at the club and say Critchley was still there? I think contextually, with I think it was nine players we had out. I think with that context, um, it was going to be very difficult for anybody, let alone a new manager, to really 
turn it around to any effect when you're giving players they I mean with respect to Aaron Drew the best time to give him a debut wasn't necessarily when the team's what 20 odd games without a win it's probably not the ideal time that you throw in a young player yeah so I suppose, I suppose the answer to that's yes from me you yeah, think I'm probably yeah, it was, reg- was going to happen regardless, what you're saying? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, I was, when, was it, I think it was the West Brom game where I was changed to the 4-4-2, I was a little bit worried at that point where the goals were going to come from um, and to stop conceding them because I knew at that point we were kind of just like sitting off teams and just hoping for the best. But um, we managed to get, pick up, what was it, six, seven, eight points in, in five games. Um probably out of thin air but yeah yeah well uh this has been a lovely and cheery podcast to make um this season has been horrific there's no other words i can say to describe this season because i think i've used them all possibly all in the intro to this podcast um but it's a chance i guess to build again isn't it like you know they really fucked it up. But you've got someone that is dedicate, dedicated to the club, perhaps too much. Perhaps, you know, like, perhaps he <laughs> shouldn't be so uh, willing to give up a pretty good League One job to come to a basket place of a championship club. But um, you're certainly not going to see any desertion from Gareth come sort of December time. Or November next season, unless he's been sacked, which is always a possibility at QPR. Um, Quite a possibility. The the worrying thing for me um, is that it's you know, I don't know. We've not made any sort of moves yet to sign anyone. We've let players go, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like it sounds like we're going to give the manager what he wants again, or like well, he's. Well, well... I'm more interested to know what happens when it goes tough again. The fans are in the owner's back, and now Ainsworth's already here. He can't be appointed to stop the run next time. Yeah. All the way part three. <laughs> oh. You know what? A little part of me would actually quite like to see it. <laughs> I love Ian. I absolutely love him. There, there, there's one lever they haven't pulled, which they've threatened to pull, which is Warnock again, which will win, will definitely win over some people. See, that's the thing. That probably would work. Mm. Like he's he's only it's only not worked for him at Middlesbrough, and even then he kind of did the job he was meant to do, didn't he? Because he kept him up in the first place. I mean, they were a shambles when he first walked into that job. I was going to um, say it sounds ridiculous, but honestly, the season we just had, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if we've got this clip in a year's time, and he's been brought in because we need to win our last ten games to stay up. Do you know what the sad thing was? Is that he said, didn't he, in an interview, like Huddersfield? I think he said Huddersfield and QPR, and I think it was one other club, probably Sheffield United, wasn't it? Cardiff, I think he said. Yeah, Cardiff, Cardiff because he wanted Reading to go down out of the. Yeah, out of the bunch. Well, like he 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 was like, this is the only club that would actually make me sort of come back and come back into my. Do you think maybe that would have been? I've heard this school of thought. I don't think it's complete. I do like Ainsworth or want to give Ainsworth a shot. I should say. I don't think it's completely ridiculous. Do you subscribe to this school of thought that maybe we should have got him in on an interim basis 
sat Critchley a bit earlier and yeah, then made a that, bit more of an informed decision in the summer. That's kind of what I was getting to. Like, Warnock would definitely would have come in. Um, I, I... I didn't, doesn't Warnock say that? Um, I, I think he said for the Huddersfield job, January is too early for him. He does February only. So maybe December was a bit too far. Yeah, maybe. Or well, November. Yeah. No, no, it would have been after that. It would have been. It would have been the right time. It was literally a couple of weeks, wasn't it? Difference. Oh, so I think I said Critchley, but I meant um, I meant Beal. I think even yeah. after Critchley, to be fair. After Critchley, I reckon. Yeah, I would have been behind a Warnock reappointment. Absolutely, but you could make the argument a couple of years ago that he shouldn't have been when he did the interim job between um, who was it? Would have before Hasselbank and after Chris Ramsey. You could argue that Warnock should have got the second pop of the cherry there. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because he was offered the job at first, apparently. He was offered was the job till the end of the season. Yeah. And then he'd come out and said he doesn't want the job. So well, then that's... the club and then the club moved towards JFH. And then Warnock changed his mind and said he did want to do it. Yeah, um, but end of the season is a little bit kind of you know, for someone like well, he was still wanting to be a proper manager at that point, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, but you could you could make the argument that nobody wants to make, which is kind of true, which is that part of the mess we're in is his fault to an extent. Like, he, he, he <laughs> yeah. gave Sean yeah. Phillips 80k a week. He gave Joey Barton 80k a week. That wasn't um, that wasn't forced on him. Yeah, well, well at least he signed off on those ideas, deals, didn't he? Like, yeah. You know. But no, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I think, you know. I mean, we'll see what happens with Ainsworth, but we might look at it and think maybe we would have been better off sort of scouring the market a bit more in the summer, but who knows? I think the positive to take into next season is that you have got someone at the helm that does genuinely love the club. and yeah. that He's going to do whatever it possibly takes to... And we've already seen that in the various changes that he has done. Um, he will do whatever it takes to get QPR further up the table and you know I want him to be a success I don't want him to fail and I think it's fair to say that some people did want him to fail like it was a hatchet job on him at times and it was disgraceful but yeah you know he is QPR manager whether you want him to be QPR manager or not so may as well back him I think we'll leave it there on that vaguely positive note uh, thank you, Micah and Dan, for this lengthy podcast to review this shambles of a season. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next year, unless we decide to do something else between now and then. I don't know. Um, yeah. Until next time, come on, you Oz. <laughs> <laughs>